0: This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. It was a very eventful long weekend. The Ukrainian war is still going on, and now Israel and Palestine are also at war. Hamas carefully chose the moment of their attack when Israelis were celebrating the holiday. They launched a surprise mass attack reenacting the Yom Kippur War of 50 years ago. Unsurprisingly, Israel has also responded with a strong and determined posture. Given the disparity of power between the two sides, Israel's ultimate victory is certain, but the damage done to civilians in the conflict is irreversible. Whether there was support from other countries behind the attack is another issue of concern. President Trump blamed the Biden administration's policies, for indirectly causing the conflict. Perhaps this will also affect the selection of the House Speaker. President Trump's legal battles have also seen some victories and Robert Kennedy Jr. announced major decisions that put the shape of the 2024 election in flux. Okay, let's get into it. The incident began on Saturday when the Palestinian Islamic resistance movement, Hamas, launched a massive surprise rocket attack on Israel and terrorists infiltrated Israel's borders, attacking homes and civilians. At 6.30 a.m. local time on Saturday morning, Hamas fired a large number of rockets from the Gaza region into Israel. Most Israelis were still asleep at the time. Hamas military leader Mohammed Deif announced on Hamas-affiliated radio that the raid was Operation Al-Aqsa Flood targeting enemy positions, airports, and military bases with 5,000 rockets. At the same time, Hamas militants broke through the Gaza Strip barrier. Dozens of gunmen entered the Israeli towns and neighborhoods, launching unprecedented attacks. The gunmen opened fire on pedestrians in the southern Israeli town of Starat, Footage of a confrontation in the street circulated on social media. However, we can only share these violent images and videos on our membership site. Richard Heck, a spokesman for the Israeli military, said that the Hamas attack was a joint assault of rockets and small drones. At the time of the initial attack, Israelis were in the midst of the Sukkot holiday in Shabbat. They were caught off guard and suffered heavy losses. The death toll in Israel has now reached an unprecedented 900 people on Monday and more than 2,500 people injured. The US State Department confirmed on Monday morning that Hamas terrorists massacred at least nine innocent Americans and more Americans are missing. The Israeli Defense Force, the IDF, initially declared a state of alert for war. Around 8.25 a.m. local time on Saturday, They mobilized soldiers and called up reservists. By 11 a.m. the IDF reported that about 2,500 rockets had been fired toward Israel. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu later declared, we are at war and we promise that the enemy will pay an unprecedented price. In response, Israel's army launched Operation Swords of Iron. On Sunday, the Israeli government officially declared war on the militant organization Hamas. Prime Minister Netanyahu had previously called for a rapid evacuation of the Gaza Strip. He vowed to avenge this black day in Israel's history by reducing to rubble the area where Hamas operates in Gaza. He said, We will destroy them and will forcefully avenge this dark day that they have forced on Israel and its citizens all of the places which Hamas is deployed, hiding, and operating in, that wicked city, Gaza, will turn them into rubble. Major General Ghassan Elien, who serves as Israeli's military's top liaison to the Palestinians, said that Hamas has opened the gates of hell due to its deadly attack. An IDF spokesman hopes that all Hamas terrorists who have infiltrated Israel will be eliminated within the next 24 hours. An IDF spokesman told reporters on Monday morning that the IDF has regained control of all communities that are surrounding the Gaza Strip. In Israel's retaliatory airstrikes on Hamas, the Palestinian Ministry of Health says that 413 Palestinians have been killed and 2,300 Palestinians have been injured. The Israeli Air Force said that its jets attacked the compound of the head of the intelligence department of the Hamas terrorist organization and they said it would continue to strike other terrorist targets in the Gaza Strip. The IDF also released aerial footage of the operation. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Golan ordered a full siege of Gaza on Monday, saying that the authorities would cut off electricity and prevent food and fuel from entering. He said... We are setting up a complete siege of Gaza. No electricity, no food, no water, no gas. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly. In response to the Israeli airstrikes, Hamas fired another 120 rockets at southern Israeli cities and claimed to have massacred four Israeli hostages. The Israeli army has moreover extended its search beyond Gaza. Israel will put pressure on Qatar and other countries. Currently, Hamas chief Ismail Al-Hania lives in Qatar. He was the one who named the weekend attack Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Yahya Sinwar, the leader of Hamas in Gaza, was the second most powerful member of Hamas. Sinwar was also a key target of Israeli death squads. IDF spokesperson, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, warned on Monday, Yahya Sinwar is the commander of the campaign and he is a dead man. The Israeli side has declared that this target has been eliminated. President Trump condemned the attacks and he stated that Israel has every right to defend itself. President Trump's statement reads, These Hamas attacks are a disgrace and Israel has every right to defend itself with overwhelming force. Three weeks ago, President Trump accused the Biden regime of giving Iran $6.2 billion that would result in terrorism across the Middle East. President Trump has brought up the subject again, saying that US taxpayer money helped fund these attacks by Hamas. President Trump's statement also said, sadly, American taxpayer dollars helped fund these attacks which many reports are saying came from the Biden administration. President Trump lamented that his previous efforts for peace in the Middle East had been so easily lost. He wrote, we brought so much peace to the Middle East through the Abraham Accords only to see Biden whittle it away at a far more rapid pace than anyone thought possible. Here we go again. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken said on Sunday, that none of the $6 billion released by the U.S. for humanitarian aid in Iran was used to help fund Hamas's attack against Israel. He claimed that the funds were made available to Iran for humanitarian purposes. Blinken also said the account is closely regulated by the U.S. Treasury Department. It could only be used for things like food, medicine, medical equipment. However, a senior U.S. government official said that Iran is the biggest funder of the militant group Hamas. With the country's government donating money, equipment, and weapons to Hamas. If the U.S. government hadn't released the $6 billion, then the Iranian government would have had to take it out of its own treasury and use it for humanitarian purposes. Either way, the U.S. money helped the Iranian government to save a huge amount of money which made it possible for Iran to support Hamas. Of course, the U.S. official also said that it was impossible to say whether Iran played a key direct role in the attack on Israel. But Hamas spokesperson Ghazi Hamad said in an interview with the BBC that the organization had the support of its ally Iran in launching the raid. Earlier, a senior advisor to Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei confirmed that Iran provided support for the attack, but he did not give details. The Iranian Foreign Ministry issued a statement saying that the attack on Israel by its ally Hamas on July 7th was an act of self-defense by the Palestinians. Palestinians are also publicly calling on other Muslim countries to support them in defending their rights. The turmoil in the Middle East will inevitably have an impact on the world situation, especially given the importance of Middle East oil. Oil prices rose 4% on Monday, October 9th, as global stocks mostly fell. Meanwhile, shares of weapons makers and military contractors soared, and shares of travel and leisure companies such as airlines and cruise ships plummeted. But it's too early to say what the economic impact might be. What we are seeing is that it is already having an impact on U.S. politics. The U.S. has begun to actively discuss providing military assistance to Israel. President Biden told Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu on a conference call on Sunday that the U.S. is providing more aid to Israel. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said on Sunday that he has ordered the USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group to the eastern Mediterranean in order to prepare for assistance to Israel. Therefore, pressure on federal House Republicans to elect a new speaker has increased even more. With the speaker's chair empty, the House of Representatives is unable to do its work. Congress cannot approve new aid until the new speaker is elected. Two candidates are running to replace McCarthy. Majority Leader Steve Scalise and House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan. Jordan won the coveted endorsement of President Trump, but Scalise has his own loyal supporters also. Meanwhile, another group of lawmakers still support McCarthy. House Republicans are expected to meet in a closed-door session to hear from candidates for speaker and to vote on the nominee on Wednesday. The process could take several days if the views of Republicans who have a slim majority cannot be unified. Kevin McCarthy changed his previous announced stance on not running for speaker and he said on Monday that he would be willing to be a consensus candidate for speaker if House Republicans can't decide who will serve. When asked if he would take the job if there were a majority vote to reinstate him as speaker, McCarthy said, look... Whatever the conference wants, I will do. I think we need to be strong. I think we need to be united. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin has partially granted a request made by President Trump's lawyers to be allowed more time to file motions in the 2020 election case before the March 2024 trial date. President Trump's legal team filed court papers last week, hoping for more time to prepare for the arguments made by Special Counsel Jack Smith. Despite President Trump's request for a 60-day extension of the deadline for filing pre-trial court motions, Judge Chutkin allowed only a two-week extension. Considering Judge Chutkin's previous far-left hardline, this order is a surprise indeed. The judge also granted the Trump legal team's request to object to classified evidence in the case, but she largely rejected a request from Trump's lawyers to postpone the trial deadline. She also denied President Trump's request to provide declassified versions of some of the court documents that were submitted by the government regarding classified evidence. Last week, President Trump's team filed a motion that sought the dismissal of the case, citing what they described as immunity. Judge Chutkin has not ruled on that dismissal motion and the special counsel lawyers have not responded either. Now, moving to New York, a New York appeals court judge also ruled partially in favor of President Trump on Friday. The judge denied President Trump's request for a stay of his civil case with Letitia James, but he did allow President Trump to continue to control his New York businesses during the appeal. That was the ruling by Associate Justice Peter Moulton of the Appellate Division Courthouse of New York State, After an emergency hearing on Friday afternoon, leaving President Trump's business operations in New York unaffected for at least the next month. In a ruling that was issued prior to the start of the trial, New York State Supreme Court 1st Judicial District Judge Arthur Engeron found President Trump and his businesses liable for the fraud that was alleged by New York State Attorney General Leticia James. Engeron ordered that the business licenses of many of President Trump's business entities be revoked and that a court-appointed receiver take charge of his companies. President Trump's attorney, Christopher Keis, argued at the hearing that dissolving the entities would cause irreparable harm to the businesses and up to 1,000 employees. On Monday, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. spoke at Independence Mall in Philadelphia, which is the site of the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution. He announced that he is withdrawing from the Democratic presidential primary and he will run for the President of the United States as an independent candidate. The crowd responded enthusiastically when he announced his decision and Robert Kennedy Jr. was clearly moved by the crowd's enthusiasm. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. Okay. Kennedy said that Americans are in a high state of discontent, and he stated that he was independent of any corporation, the media, and the two major political parties. I'm here to join you in making a new declaration of independence for our entire nation. We declare independence from the corporations that have hijacked our government. As an independent, Kennedy will advocate for voters who are tired of America's partisan divisions. He called partisanship an obstacle to the betterment of the country. Co-founder Tony Lyons told Reuters at the event that American Values 2024, which is the super PAC that is supporting RFK Jr., had raised $17 million up from about $10 million reported in July. Lyons said that he expected an additional 10 million dollars after Monday's announcement. According to a Reuters Ipsos poll that was released last week, Kennedy would likely receive the support of about one in seven U.S. voters and he would pull away some of the votes from Biden and possibly even some from President Trump. The poll showed that far more Republicans than Democrats have a favorable view of Kennedy. However, Third-party candidates have never won a U.S. presidential race, but they could affect who wins. The 2024 presidential election is likely to be the last time President Trump has to face Biden again. Kennedy's statement on Monday may complicate that race. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for your support of front Page. Please remember that every like, comment, and share helps more people to see the truth. We've also heard from many of our viewers that they don't get notifications of our videos anymore from YouTube. So please follow us on Telegram, Gab, Getter, True Social, Twitter, and on Ganjing World for the latest updates. Okay, this is our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard today... Please don't forget to like this video and share it with your friends and family because everybody deserves to know the truth. Again, thank you for watching Front Page and we will see you next time. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.